how many is ready for the word tonight? You ready for the word? And so if you were here last Wednesday, I started a sermon series called Let's Think About This Differently. All right, let's think about this differently. And so what I did, I started last uh, Wednesday night and I looked at a story in the Bible and I brought out a traditional way of looking at it, a traditional way. And then I kind of looked at it differently. All right. And so how many was here last Wednesday? Raise your hand. Let me just, how many remembers the sermon that I spoke about last Wednesday? Does anybody remember that particular sermon? And do you remember what it was? The prodigal son. And I, I had a different spin on the prodigal son. And so uh, we really focused on the younger brother. Remember, he was never invited to the he wasn't invited to the party. And so we were talking about counting. And so if you hadn't had a chance, please go back and listen to that. And so tonight we're going to look at a different story and uh, we're going to bring out the traditional view. And then we're going to look at uh, from a different perspective. All right. And so that's what we're going to do next Wednesday as well. So this is a four part series. This is uh, lesson two. And then we have two more after this in this series. Let's look at it differently. All right. And so I also want to make mention that. As you know, Destiny Church gave us a, a, a wonderful camera, and if you go to our Facebook, you'll realize the different quality and the different sound, and everything's so much better, and so we appreciate that wonderful gift that they sowed into our ministry here. So go to Sunday night's, uh, go to Sunday night's uh, uh, service, and uh, that is with the new camera, and I just want you to see the difference in that, and so we are perfecting that, so be patient with us as we work through that. There's some kinks that we're working through, but I know that you're being patient with us as we navigate through that as well. All right, so tonight, uh, let's look at this differently, and so if you look at the book of John, St. John chapter 13, let's look at a, a, a familiar passage of story, a familiar story tonight. <clears throat> this is a story that we often read at Holy Week during the week of Jesus' passion and remembering his crucifixion and remembering his death, burial and resurrection. But tonight I think it's appropriate as we go to the story and we look at what the Lord, the Holy Spirit has to say to all of us. Uh, John chapter 13, listen to the words of St. John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the, his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to his father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. He loved them to the end. Can you just say amen to that? And the supper, when the supper was ended, the devil having already, how many, <laughs> how many's ever been at the dinner table and an argument broke out? You know, devil always shows up at the table. All right. So, and when the supper was ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will not have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. 
Jesus said to him, he who is bath needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, he sat down again and said to them, do you not know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All right, so let's look at this differently tonight. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to uh, gather in your house. And we pray that you would open our spiritual hearts, spiritual ears, that we may hear what you want to say to us tonight. Help us to accept the word of God, not as the word of Josh Pennington, but the word of God himself the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We pray that your word, the true manna from heaven, it may nourish our soul and our spirit, and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone said, amen. I think that we all can agree tonight that um, we live in a very egotistical, uh, very proud society. It doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. You look around in the modern secular society, you'll quickly find out that uh, uh, people are very proud of their achievements. Some people are very narcissist. Some are very egotistical in their uh, climbing of the ladder of success. And uh, nowadays we have more people educated than ever in history. We have done great achievements. We know a lot. Sometimes it seems like we're not going anywhere, but we do know a lot. We have the ability to conquer space, but sometimes we can't conquer our own habits. You know, we, we seems like we know the scriptures, but yet it seems like we're, we're more confused and bound than we've ever been in our life. We have churches on every street corner and translations of every Bible and preachers of every kind. And, and yet it seems like we're still drowning in confusion and fear and bondage. And, and uh, so, you know, just because there's churches on every street corner and just because we have preachers and deacons and elders and church leadership doesn't mean that things are going the way it should go. All right. And so um, uh, and I, I, I believe that if you had to look at our society, I really believe you can stem it all to pride. And I believe that that's the I think that's the issue, you know. Uh, it was pride that destroyed Jude. Uh, it was pride that destroyed Lucifer. Pride entered his heart. Jealousy is the fruit of pride. You know, so I've heard sermons preached where Lucifer fell because of jealousy. No, he fell because of pride. You know, jealousy is a, is a, is a root of pride. It was a, it's selfishness. That's the root of all sin. You know, you look at sin. The, the middle letter of the word, the, the, the little letter in the middle of sin is I, you know, because that's a uh, sin is an eye problem. You know, it's ironic that we have something in our hands 24 seven called the iPhone, you know. <laughs> so, you know, sin is a eye problem. It's an eye problem. And once in a while, you got to do an eye checkup. 
And you got to see how egotistical and narcissist we can become uncertain in our achievements. And I think, I think, I, and I, I could be wrong. I think that sometimes even in church, we kind of, um, you know, sometimes we clothe pride and egotistical behavior in the word honor. I think we've done that before. We kind of color it with the word honor. I'm honoring somebody. and I believe honor is acceptable, but we've got to be careful that we don't go and cross the line to being prideful and egotistical in our achievements. And a lot of people want self-glory. They want self-esteem and they want self-love. And I believe it's destroyed more homes and more churches and more businesses more than ever. There's three areas that the devil will get you in. And I promise you, promise you. You look throughout history and you look throughout your little Bible and you will find three areas that the devil primarily uses to get to people. Number one, it's pride, the love of self. Number two, it's sex or number three, it's money or wealth. Those three things are very powerful. And if the enemy can't get you with one thing, he will get you with another, you know, pride, the, the, the love of self, you know, the love of self, you know, uh, sexual temptation is lust and gratification, uh, fornication you know, or money, the, uh, the possession of things, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So if he can't get you with one thing, he will get you with another. And so and that is why you always got to do an eye checkup once in a while and see uh, where the eye is. All right. And so when we come to this story tonight, I want to look at this story from a different perspective. Um, Usually we look at this story as a sign of humility. You know, we need to we need to follow the example of Jesus and we need to wash each other's feet. That is a sign of humility, walking in humility. And of course, you've heard sermons about it. I'm sure you've been in Sunday school and you've heard principles of humility. The way up is actually the way down. You know, in order for you to ascend, you got to descend. And one of the methods of descending is through humility. The greatest act of all is the God of the universe took a towel off of, uh, of his body and washed his disciples feet. They should be washing his feet, you know, but the God of the universe washed their feet. That is the greatest example of, of selflessness. That's the greatest example of humility. There is no egotistical behavior in the story. Jesus lays aside that the God of the universe is washing his disciples feet and he washes their feet knowing that some of them would deceive. Some of them would leave him. Some of them would betray him. Most of them wouldn't even be there at the crucifixion. And he still washes their feet. And you know what's one of the greatest principles of the story is? Jesus washed Judas's feet, even though he knew Judas was going to betray him. My folks, listen, my friends, that is one of the greatest acts of selflessness in the story here. Jesus had the ability to wash a man's feet, even though he knew in a few hours and a few days that this man was going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And my question to you is this, is there enough, is there enough of the love of God inside of you to wash the feet of someone that you know has betrayed you, has lost trust with you, has stabbed you in the back, Somebody that you don't love. Do you have the ability to press through and love somebody like that? You know, Jesus says, if you love somebody that loves you, you're no better than the pagans. Of course. 
Come on, my friends. Come on, church. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. Of course, you can love somebody that loves you back. But it really takes the love of God to love somebody that don't like you or betrayed you. It really takes the love of God to do something like that. And this is, it's a powerful story. But what I want you to see tonight, I want to look at it from a different perspective. I think humility is one of the, the, the hallmarks of this passage, this narrative. But I want to look at it in a different perspective. I want to look at it in spiritual growth. How can I grow in Christ? And what are maybe some principles that I can learn from this story that could help me to grow as a Christian? Now, I know I throw that phrase around a lot because... I think that's one of my chief values in my life is to grow. Uh, and there's, there's two different mindsets, and I, I think I've said this before, but I think it's noteworthy to say it again. There's two different mindsets you can have in life. You can have what is called a fixed mindset, or you can have what is called a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says this. You know, I've, I've, I've messed up. I've, I got a C on the paper. I, you know, I, I you know, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I've done some things I shouldn't have done. And, and a fixed mindset says it's over. You know, there's no hope for me. I've messed up. I'm giving up. I'm throwing the towel, so to speak. That's a fixed mindset. It's a, it's a box mindset. You don't even see beyond your reality. But a growth mindset says, you know what? I may have done some things I shouldn't have done. I may have, maybe I did get a D on the paper, but there's always another paper to do. I'm always going to progress because in God's economy, perfection is not required. Progress is required. It's progress that's required. So are you progressing in Christ? And if you're not intentionally going forward, you're unintentionally going back. Nobody plans on backsliding. Nobody plans on going back because it's unintentional. That's why you got to be intentional going forward. And so I want you to see this. I want to look at the aspect of feet tonight, feet. And it's interesting to me that when you look at especially uh, Psalms, David rec- uh, talks about the feet. Uh, I remember in one passage of Scripture, David says, you know, my feet almost slipped but you caught me. You know, my feet almost got snared in the trap, but you got me over and over. That's that phrase is found throughout the book of Psalms. My, you caught my feet. I thought I was going to slip, but you caught my feet. And, and so here in the story tonight, I want us to look at the aspect of feet here. I want you to see how you can grow in Christ by looking at the feet aspect here. And one of the very first things I want you to see about this story. Now, this is very simplistic, but I think it's still profound. And I want you to listen to it. Number one, in this story is that his feet comes before other feet. His feet comes before other feet. Now, I want you to think about that uh, statement tonight. His feet comes before other feet. Now, sometimes in ministry, and I can say this because I am in ministry, and many of you have been in ministry, full-time ministry before, and you could echo the same thing that I am uh, uh, talking about tonight. If we're not careful, we can get so busy washing everybody else's feet that we don't have time for his feet. And as believers, if we're going to progress with God, you've got to get this right. You've got to get the order of priority right in your life. His feet comes first before everybody else's feet. Now, I know that we're in a pandemic and there's grace and, you know, our attendance is lower as usual, especially on Wednesday nights, you know. Uh, but you, you'll understand that prayer meeting is not popular with people. 
People don't want to come and sit at his feet. It's not popular. And you know why people don't want to do that? And I'm not, I'm not making a blanket statement. I'm not pinpointing anybody. I'm just making a blanket statement because it's everywhere in the world. It's very hard to get people to pray. Because prayer, you know what prayer does? Prayer annihilates pride. Prayer annihilates pride. Because in prayer, you become dependent on God. You have to ask God for help. You beseech God for help. Pride says, I'll take care of it. I'll figure it out. I'll try to work it out. You know, I've prayed before, but it didn't work. So, you know, I got it. I'll take care of it. But, but prayer forces us to have a discipline of dependency on God. And if there was ever a definition that I think accurately describes prayer, it is that. It is a, it is a discipline of dependency on God. That is what prayer is. That's what prayer is. And that is why it's hard because we, we are prideful, our prideful nature wants to take on it ourselves. We want to take care of it. We want to fix it. We want to, we want to try to logically to try to uh, reason it and figure it out and try to put A with B and B with C and try to figure it all out. And, and, and instead of depending on God. I have come, as I am getting older, I just learned to pray about everything, you know. I, I do what I can do physically. I'm not going to pray about something that I'm physically able to do. If I got the means to take care of it, I'm going to take care of it. If God's blessed me, and I know that there is a need, and I am moved by the Spirit to do it, then I'm going to do it. I'm not going to pray about something that I have the ability to do. I'm going to pray about stuff I don't have the ability to do. Can I hear an amen? And so uh, so prayer is is a discipline of dependence. Dependency on God. And so, and so, uh, and listen, and I'm going to break it down, break it down for you. There has never been a revival in recorded history without a group of people praying. There has never been miracles without people praying. There has never been an awakening without people really depending on God. You know what we're saying? Lord, I can't produce this awakening. Lord, I can't produce this revival. There is nothing we can do, Lord. The music in is not going to bring it. The preaching is not going to bring it. Our methods and our programs and meetings are not going to bring it. So we come to you and we, we render our hearts, the book of Joel says, render your heart and not my garments. I render my heart before you. I am out and bare before you. I depend upon you. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. Because at first I don't feel like praying. At first it's boring. At first it looks like my prayers are hitting the top of the roof of the house. That's why Jesus said my house is a house of prayer. But we have made it into 45 minutes of worship and then, you know, 45 minutes of a sermon. And Jesus said it should be a house of prayer. It should be a house of prayer. I said this last week, but I'll say it again. And there's nothing wrong with worship because I think we have great worship and it's wonderful. I think we should do worship, but we should never exclude prayer too. Amen. Prayer should be a vital part of our church. Worship is wonderful. Preaching is wonderful. But prayer should be a vital part. And I said this last week, and I think it's good. I mean, not only should prayer be a part of our worship service. Uh, not only worship, but yes, the word should be a part of the worship service. If I go to your house, we're going to do two things at your house. If you invite me, say, Pastor, come to my house. When I get to your house, we're going to do two things. Two things we're going to do. We're going to talk and we're going to eat. These are the two things we're going to do. I'm going to talk with you. We're going to fellowship and we're going to eat. And the early church realized that if this is the house of God, we should do those two things. We should talk and we should eat. We should talk the word, preach the word. And then we should partake of communion, eating, 
together, fellowshipping together. It's, that's because it's the house of God. Can I hear an amen? And the worship service in early Christianity wasn't what we picture it today. I promise you, if Paul and Matthew and the great apostles of, of the early church would come and let's suppose this Sunday morning we invited them to our church service and we just put them on the front row and we'd ask them to be a part of our worship service. I promise you it wouldn't look like anything they're used to 2,000 years ago. It would be quite different. All right. Now, is anything that we're doing bad? It's nothing we're doing is bad. It's biblical. We're doing everything biblical. But times have changed. Cultures have changed. And the way we worship has changed. Can I hear an amen? But we should never get away from the fundamental principles in Scripture. And that a worship service has to have not only prayer, not only worship, but the word, the sacraments and fellowship. Those are the ingredients of what I call is a true, authentic worship service. Those things must be included. Now... His feet comes before other feet. If you're going to develop a progressive relationship with God, you must develop the discipline of prayer. There must be a discipline of dependency on God. His feet comes first. Now, how do I know this? This It's interesting to me, and maybe you haven't seen this before, but I think that the Bible goes together, okay? I think there's a narrative. It kind of goes together. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we like to read the scriptures in segments, and and, and I've I've been guilty of it. We've all been guilty of it. We, We just take a segment, and then we do, we try to interpret it through the lens of our culture or we try to interpret through uh, life application when really it has nothing to do with what we really said. It's kind of like the scripture. Um, the scripture in Jeremiah, it said, uh, what's the scripture? Um, for I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you and give you hope. You know, that, that we quote that scripture a lot and we even put it on Instagram, we put it on Facebook and, and we get our little cup of coffee out and we open our Bible up and a little cup of coffee and, and there's this little picture of a little flower and it has that little scripture, you know, I know the plans that I have for you with a little cup of coffee. It looks really sweet, but it's totally taken out of context because if you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is saying to the group who is in exile, he's saying, I know the plans I have for you. You know what the plans are? For you to stay in exile 70 years. That's really the interpretation of the scripture. In other words, you need to stay in bondage 70 more years. That's the plan I have for you, saith the Lord. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? So it's important that we take scripture and conduct. His feet comes. Look, look at this. Look at this. This is interesting. John chapter 12 and verse number two. The previous chapter deals with another feet story. Isn't that interesting? John chapter 13 deals with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but yet John chapter 12 also deals with a feet story, and this feet story is the woman uh, taking an alabaster box in Bethany and breaking it and washing Jesus' feet. Look at it. John chapter 12 and verse number 3. John 12 verse number 3. And Mary took a pound of very costly speckner, anointed the feet of Jesus. Right? So his feet was washed first and anointed first. Then John chapter 13, verse 5, John thir- in the next chapter, John 13, verse 5 states this, and that he poured wa- water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. So what feet came first? His feet was washed first. Then the disciples' feet was washed first. But notice the difference. His feet was washed with 
oils and perfumes. The disciples' feet was washed with water. His feet comes first. His feet, you should lay down your best. You should lay down the best for his feet, not their feet. His feet deserves the oil. His feet deserves the perfume. His feet deserves the worship. And sometimes I believe we worship the feet of preachers. You make the list. Give them more credence at their feet than we do the feet of Jesus. His feet comes first before everybody else's feet comes. Should you wash people's feet? Yes. Just make sure you wash his feet first. Now, everybody, get this. Can I say something to you? Can I say something to you? If, listen, if you don't wash his feet first, you will get bitter as you wash everybody else's feet. And you will begin to say, I don't know why. I've served in this church all these years and that so-and-so is promoted and that so-and-so is recognized. I've done it for years. I've done it here. I've done it there. The problem is the reason that that attitude is grown in your heart is because it would die at the feet of Jesus before you ever get to somebody else's feet. Somebody say, man, I'm about to shout up in here. And that's the problem. People get upset because they're not rewarded. They're not recognized. Listen, I've washed their feet for years, Pastor. I've served for years. I've done this for years. And I'm leaving this church and going up the road to another church. And I'm going to find some other feet I can wash. The problem is, is if we would get the priority right and wash his feet first, we would have the right attitude when we wash everybody else's feet. And I hear an amen. amen. So his feet comes first before everybody else's feet comes. His feet is first. Number two, a Judas mindset is the result of not sitting at his feet. Because who's at the table? Judas is at the table. What's his mindset? Egotistical. He's a narcissist. It's about him. Why did he betray Jesus? Because he's upset with Jesus that Jesus should have established his kingdom. But Jesus has taken too long to establish his kingdom. He should overthrow the Romans, set up his kingdom. And we, the twelve, should sit with you in your kingdom. But Jesus wasn't doing what Judas wanted him to do. Wasn't in the method he wanted him to do it. So Judas betrayed him. And Judas here at the Judas in chapter 13, when the supper was being ended, the devil had already entered him. And the Bible says, but Jesus, knowing that the father had given him all things, he came from God, he's going to go from God. And the Bible says, verse four, he rose from the supper, laid aside his garments and took the towel. And after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples feet. Judas was one of them that he washed. But one of the mindsets that will stop you from washing people's feet is a Judas mindset. Now, in the other synoptic gospels, 
you'll see that Judas got upset. Other gospels record that G Judas would get upset and he would say, you know, why are you spending, for instance, uh, John chapter 12, listen to Judas's response. Judas is also listed here. Jude, uh, John chapter 12 and verse number four, John 12 verse four, Judas is in the previous chapter. John chapter 12, verse 4, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 worth denarii to the poor? He's complaining about the worship of this woman. Because that's what a Judas mindset will do. That's too extravagant. You don't need to worship that way. Why do you need to cry? Why do you need to do it all that way? There's no reason to be so extravagant about it. Try to stop him. You should never let anyone or anything hinder your worship. Nobody. So you see that Judas' mindset is a result of not sitting at his feet. Judas didn't sit at his feet. Judas took care of the money bag. Judas was busy about his own plans. Number three, now get this. After salvation, number three, after salvation, the feet needs to be washed, not the body. Now, isn't that interesting? Because look at what Jesus said here. Jesus said something interesting that I think that we need to pay attention to. John chapter 13, and Jesus says this. You know, Peter makes this big idea. Oh, Lord, don't wash my feet. Don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have a part with me. And, you know, Peter changed his vocabulary very quickly and said, well, Lord, you know, I want you to so go ahead and just wash everything about me. And Jesus makes a statement. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse number 10, uh, verse number 10, Jesus Jesus said to him, he who is bath needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. You know, what was Peter saying? Don't lose me because this is so important, church. What did Peter say? Look at verse seven, John 13, verse seven. Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you'll know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he who is bath only needs to wash his feet. You know what Jesus is saying? Peter, I don't need to wash your whole body because you're already clean. The only thing I need to wash is your feet, which this is a type of salvation. Peter was already in Christ. Peter knew Christ. Peter received Christ. In other words, we could say Peter was saved. He was already clean, but his feet wasn't clean. And when you get saved, you are clean, but your feet represents your activity and your behavior. And every once in a while, you need to do a feet check and making sure that your behavior and activity is pleasing to God. Can somebody just throw your head back and quit acting like you're on a respirator and just say amen tonight? Just give me some response, okay? Is that all right? Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Okay. So after salvation, the feet needs to be washed, not the body. You see, it was a Jewish custom was to wash your feet when you went to someone's house. It was a part of hospitality. They didn't wash your whole body. They just washed your feet. It was a daily custom to wash people's feet. And isn't that interesting? 
that in salvation you should do regular washing of your feet? You should regularly wash your feet. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 9, Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to his word? How can we cleanse our way? We cleanse our way by taking heed to the word. Feet represents walking. It represents activity. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Ephesians 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. He says in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word. How do we wash our feet? We wash our feet by regular participation in the mirror of the word letting it wash our mind and our spirit and our soul, washing. Our walk needs to be cleaned sometimes. Now, it's interesting. Number four, I want you to see in this story, number four is our feet must be in his hands. Our feet must be in his hands. Our feet must be in his hands. Look at it. John chapter 13 and verse number six. Look at this principle tonight. John chapter 13 and verse number six. Then it came to Simon Peter and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? So his feet was in the hands of the master. Can I tell you that when your feet is in the hands of the master, you don't have to worry about your path. Did you hear what I just said? When your feet is in his hands, you don't have to worry about your path. I hear people say, am I in the will of God? Am I doing the will of God? There's no reason to stress about the will of God. Brandon does not come to my office at 9 o'clock on Monday morning and say, oh, pastor, my beloved pastor, what is your will for me to do today? You know why he doesn't do that? Because he knows me and he knows exactly what to do. I don't have to say it. And that is exactly the will of God. People fast and pray and give up their cheeseburgers trying to find the will of God. Baby, go eat your cheeseburger. Because when you are in relationship with God, when you are pursuing after God and your feet is in his hands, you don't have to worry about your path because you are already doing what the Father wants you to do. Amen. 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 Your kids don't walk down the steps and say, oh, mother, oh, father, what is your will? They've lived with you. They sh should know. You better get upstairs and brush your teeth, baby. Comb, comb your hair and get on the school bus. They should know that because they've lived with you. And when your feet is in his hands, you don't have to worry about your path. And number six, some people won't walk. Uh, number, is it number five? I'm sorry. Number five is Jesus said, this is an example to us. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, I've done this. Verse number 15, John 13, verse 15. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I'm giving you this as an example. Like I've done, I grew up in the old church, you know, in the old church, we used to wash people's feet. 
you know. I mean, I, I, I don't care if you had bunions and corns on your feet. I mean, we just took it right off and we just rubbed your corns and your bunions and your, you know, your cankles. We just rubbed it with oil. We just rubbed it with oil. <laughs> we rubbed it with water. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I was from the old school. We took the women in the back and the men stayed in the front, you know, and they speak in tongues and dance a little bit. We don't do that no more because we're too scared. You know, God forbid we have to go to a mission field, you know, but you just don't do that no more. Nowadays, I was in a church service where they said, I, <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> I was in a church service. And they said, ah, we're going to wash feet. And I was like, oh, wow, I've never been in a, wa a foot washing service in a long time. And so the usher started giving out napkins. I was like, well, what in the world is this? So everybody got a napkin. And the pastor said, I just want you to bend over. And I want you to look to your right and take your napkin. Just swipe your neighbor's shoe. I said, okay. So I got down, I swiped their shoe, and he said, that's, that's our foot washing tonight. I said, okay, I guess. Well, we went from washing their feet to swiping with a napkin, but you know, you get the point. <laughs> so Jesus said, this is an example to us. What is the example? In order for you to ascend, you must descend. That's the example. In order for you to go up, you have to go down. In order for you to, you got to, you got to let go of what's in your hand. This is an example for us. Number six, and this is my favorite point, and I think that this is the example, I think this is the point I really want to hammer home tonight. Number six, it really wasn't about the dirt. It was about God. It's not about the dirt. You know, Jesus washed their feet because that was a custom. It was hospitality. Their feet was dirty. It wasn't, it, listen folks, it wasn't about washing the dirt off their feet. That wasn't, that's not the point. It was a greater point than just washing the dirt off the feet. And listen, there's going to be people that come to this church that will have dirt on their feet. It's not about their dirt. Can I hear an amen? It's not about their dirt. It's not about their tattoos and their hair and what they've done and what they've looked at. It's not about that. It's greater than that. It is us being the hands and feet and heart of Jesus Christ. It's not about the dirt. It's about God. And if, listen, if you, listen, if you don't sit at his feet first, First, all you will see is the dirt on everybody else's feet. And you know why I'm about to shout up in here, Sister Raylene. You know why I don't pay attention to the dirt on their feet is because I have already taken oil and I've already rubbed his feet with oil and I can't smell their dirt because I have smelling the oil of the fragrance of worship on my hands. And when you begin to wash people's feet, secondly, because you have washed his feet first, there'll be no trouble washing people's feet when you've been at his feet. His feet comes first. His feet comes first before their feet comes Amen. And so what have we learned tonight? 
We've looked at the story differently, and we've learned, number one, that his feet comes first before other feet. We learned tonight that a Judas mindset is a result of not setting his feet. What is a Judas mindset? I'm in it to get it for me. I can't do that. It's too much. Costs too much. Number three, after salvation, you know, your body's already clean. You need to do a daily washing of your feet. There should be a daily cleansing in your life. Number four, our feet must be in his hands because that's what it's about. When your feet is in his hands, you don't have to worry about your path. Number six, this is an example to us, the example of greatness. I must first descend before I ascend. Amen. And number six, it was really never about the dirt anyway. It was about God. How many learned from the word of God tonight? Amen.